Today, we talk space, the final frontier. But it's not the fictional USS Enterprise and its voyages that explore strange new worlds that we'll be chatting about. True, we're venturing into space, but our captains and guides on this voyage are the Arab researchers currently leading this region into the future. This is Pakinam Amer, and you're listening to a new episode of the Nature Middle East podcast, broadcasting from Cairo, Egypt. In this special episode, I sit down with Professor York Matthias Detterman, author of a new book on space science and the Arab world. We talk about how some countries of the Arab Middle East are making small steps and others, giant leaps, towards understanding the cosmos, seeking out new life and new Earth-like planets and contributing to space research. My guest today is an assistant professor of history at Virginia Commonwealth University in Qatar and author of Researching Biology and Evolution in the Gulf States and Space Science and the Arab World, which hit the shelves only yesterday. Nature Middle East writer Sidira Show is reviewing the book for you tomorrow on our portal at nature.com slash East. So please look out for it. As meanwhile, I pick York's brain on why he chose to dedicate an entire book to the region's space endeavors. This is a new episode of Nature Middle East Podcast. The transformation from a region that used to shy away from investing heavily in space science research to one that's actively discovering exoplanets and even drawing up a giant plan to build a city on Mars in a hundred years didn't happen overnight. Tracing the history of Arab involvement in this field since the late 19th century, York takes us on a journey to understand how the Arab world has been nurturing a vision that brought it to a point where it's now braving new boundaries. Let me jump right into it. York, when space science is mentioned, the Arab world is not the first thing that springs to mind. It might actually be the last. So why choose this particular topic to write an entire book about and explore? It is true that the modern and contemporary Arab world is not commonly associated with space science. Instead, unfortunately, Western media as well as Arab media, often focus on violent events such as revolutions, such as wars, insurrections, our civil unrest. And I wanted in my book to tell a more positive story, a more constructive story about exciting developments in the Arab world today. The Arab world If it is associated with science, it is also associated commonly with the medieval past. There is a very, very prominent narrative of the Arabic and Islamic Golden Age, a time of civilizational flourishing, of cultural peak. Unfortunately, this narrative of the Golden Age is very past-centered. And if this narrative leads us to overlook the scientific developments that have taken in the Arab world today. So I wanted to write a book about a topic that is very much neglected. People may know about an Arab astronaut here or an Arab space scientist there, But there hasn't been a book in English that brings together the different Arab uh, space scientists and space 
science projects from across the region. York, in your book, you focus on space science endeavors in the modern Arab world, basically 19th century onwards, rather than what is known as the Golden Age, where Arab and Muslim scientists excelled during medieval times and even named the stars. You also mentioned how nationalism in space projects, beginning from rocketry in countries like Algeria and Egypt to the current uh, Qatari um, exoplanet project, have always been hand in hand, have always been interlinked. Can you elaborate more on this thought and how this bond between nationalistic rhetoric and space science have led to where we are today? Space science is big science. It often encompasses big machinery, big instruments, such as rockets, such as telescopes, that cost huge amounts of money. For that reason, states as the wealthiest organizations in the Arab world and in the world in general have been central to space projects. For that reason also, nationalism is often very interconnected with space projects. So the Apollo space program in America was very much interconnected with American nationalism. Uh, but the Apollo program was about landing a man on the moon, but it was also about demonstrating American scientific, technological, and cultural leadership. Similarly, space projects across the Arab world have a such as the Emirates-Mars mission or the Qatar Exoplanet Survey, can also be looked at through the lens of nationalism and national prestige. The Emirates-Mars mission is very much about projecting the brand of the United Arab Emirates onto the solar system. The Emirates-Mars mission is also about showcasing the UAE as a country of the future, as a country leading in terms of science and technology. Why do you think several Gulf countries such as Qatar and the United Arab Emirates are heavily investing in space science right now? Gulf countries such as Qatar and the UAE are looking to diversify their oil and gas driven economies. This is partly about preparing these countries for a post-oil or post-gas future. These countries are looking to invest in science more broadly as a way to create and generate patents and inventions and knowledge that can be sold. So these countries are hoping to produce knowledge rather than just crude natural resources for the world in the future. This is also about dealing with unemployment. Uh, so oil and gas industries only employ limited number of people. And of course, with unemployment being a security threat as a possible, as a possible cause for unrest, Countries like Qatar or the UAE are also trying to create knowledge economies as 
um, economies that would employ lots of young Arabs as scientists, for instance. Okay, so we've talked about Gulf countries, lots of money, lots of funds. How about less affluent countries? How can they be part of the space science drive in the Arab world? And can they? Countries such as Morocco and Yemen do not have the same amounts of natural resources in the form of oil and gas. However, they have great human resources. Uh, they have young people uh, who love to look at the stars, love at the beautiful nightly skies, and who could be inspired to do science. Perhaps, at least as importantly, countries such as Morocco, Yemen, Lebanon, uh, also uh, Iraq, have very high mountains with excellent observing conditions. Across the Arab world, countries have very, very few nights with cloudy skies. Many mountains in the Arab world are also in dry places, so we have very little interference and light pollution in the atmosphere. So even poor and war-torn and conflict-ridden places such as Iraq and Yemen can be locations for leading observatories that would contribute to global knowledge of the universe in the future. Unlike its Gulf neighbors, and this is something that I'm really curious about, Saudi Arabia hasn't launched any major space exploration or a big research initiative in the field. And in your opinion, why do you think Saudi is holding back on investing directly in space projects? It is true that Saudi Arabia doesn't have flagship space programs such as the United Arab Emirates Mars Mission or the Qatar Exoplanet Survey. However, Saudi Arabia has been very interested in space since at least the 1980s. In 1985, Prince Sultan bin Salman al Saud became the first Arab, the first Muslim, and the first member of a royal family in space when he flew as an astronaut on board the American space shuttle Discovery. Prince Sultan bin Salman was subsequently active in the Association of Space Explorers, a society that gathers astronauts and cosmonauts from across the world. Saudi Arabia has also been very interested in satellites and has produced a number of satellites. But these satellites are important for research purposes, but also for telecommunications purposes. Saudi Arabia has a leading satellite channel, Al Arabiya, a channel that competes with the Qatari-owned satellite channel Al Jazeera for viewers. And Saudi Arabia is also looking to use remote sensing satellites for natural resource exploration, as well as for border control. All right, my final question. And I have to ask this because more than half of our audience at Nature Middle East is based in the U.S. and Europe. Why would a Western reader pick up your book? What would a science enthusiast in the West gain from reading about budding science 
uh, space projects or space programs in the Arab world, uh, in your opinion? I think readers in the West would get a more positive and more hopeful view of the Arab world when one looks only at the stories of wars, of failed revolutions, of civil strife, one can almost drown in hopelessness. However, this focus on violence alone and on conflict pushes aside the many positive stories in which you have Arabs contributing to global knowledge, such as the discovery of seven terrestrial exoplanets orbiting a star called TRAPPIST-1, a discovery that made headlines in early 2017. Also, Western readers could, by reading my book, get a better understanding of Western space projects, including the historical Apollo program that led to the landing of the first human being on the moon in 1969. The Apollo space program was celebrated partly by American propaganda as an achievement of America, of the capitalist free world. However, members of other nations also contributed to this great American feat of the 1960s. Uh, Well-known is the German rocket scientist Werner von Braun, who led the development of the Saturn V launch vehicle used in the Apollo program. However, less well-known but covered in my book are the Arabs and citizens of a third world country like Egypt, who contributed to the success of the moon landing. The Qutamiya Observatory in the Egyptian desert, a station of the Haiwan Observatory, which is near Cairo, contributed to a major international lunar mapping project that provided some of the data on which on whose basis the American planners of the um, moon landings selected the sites. Also, an Egyptian geologist and planetary scientist named Farouk Al-Baz played a leading role in selecting landing sites for the astronauts and in training astronauts on how to distinguish and recognize features on the lunar surface and thus enabling these American astronauts to land their spacecraft safely. The Apollo space program was not just an American program, not just but a, a Western program, but an international program, a program with transnational dimensions in which a third world country, a country in the Middle East and the Arab world like Egypt played a major role. If you've enjoyed this episode, make sure to check out our portfolio of features on the most promising space research in the Arab world. It's out now on nature.com slash East. Remember that you can follow and download episodes of this podcast on SoundCloud, iTunes, and Overcast. I'm Pakina Mayamer. Thank you for listening.